It's pretty good, man. Pretty good. All right. Yeah, let's get started. All right. Ready? Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 85 of Cinepunk. Cinepunk! Welcome, listeners. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. So happy. So happy to have you. Punks! <laughs> I need to come up with a... I really want to come up with like a... I mean, I like that we play music beforehand, yeah. well, but I want to come up with like a theme song that I can just fake sing at the beginning. <laughs> We're the Cinepunks! I've been like writing a theme song for our show for the past four years that we've been doing I just assume it's never going to happen. Yeah, you should. you're correct in doing so. That's totally fine. What does it sound like, though? It's just going to sound... It's got a lot of clapping. Billy Bragg. Yeah, and it's got a lot of... There's drums. They're oh, yeah. <laughs> like you're like this is the innovation. There's drums. There's drums and bass. It's gonna be a, a, a gang vocal mosh. Wait, what? Verse, chorus, verse. Jesus, you know? Yeah, dude. I've been planning a great one in my mind. It's like Beach Boys, like you know, it's like Dewey <sighs> Cox being like talking to the goat. This is out of control. Yeah, dude. I just watched that movie again recently. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh Genius. Anyway. Not um, our topic for today, dear listener. Not what we're going to talk about today. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the movies of Gus Van Sant. We always say it like that. We're talking about two Gus Van Sant. Yeah, movies. yeah, yeah. I know. But this I is know. our. But but let's be clear. For us, this is our. This is our first in with Gus Van Sant as a topic. So like, I, the only reason I say anything about it is I want to make sure people understand. Like, we didn't watch ten Gus no, Van Sant. No, we watched two of them. And we've seen other ones. We've seen Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I've seen Election. You've I've seen, seen Mala Noche. Yeah, and uh, oh, about the, the blues. Uh, even cowgirls. Even get cowgirls the blues. Get the blues. Yeah, and I think he's. What did he do recently? Doesn't he even. Uh, he did a movie just came out called Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot. Oh right, I, I didn't see that yet. I, I did see not that. see it. But um, so yeah. uh, we we're not positioning ourselves as experts here, but we thought this is our first step into that realm, and I think we'll do other double features soon. Though to be honest, I don't know if we'll ever cover Goodwill Hunting because <laughs> I don't fucking care about Goodwill Hunting. Right, right, right. But I, I thought our two movies today were great. What were the two movies we watched today? For today's discussion, we watched Drugstore Cowboy. Sure. And we watched um, My Own Private Idaho. Now, had you seen either of these before? I had never seen either of them before. I, I this was actually my third time watching Drugstore Cowboy. Oh, really? However, I saw it first inappropriately young. Uh, and was then, it like a double feature with your six-year-old Nightmare on Elm Street viewing? I was seven when I saw it. Oh, man. Street. Even worse. And no, even I, was, worse. I was definitely like 11 or 12 when I saw Drugstore Cowboy. It was just something. I would just get whatever right. from the video store. and I, I. It looks from the cover. It's just it's that lady in. What's her name again? Kelly Preston. Is that her? Yeah. Uh, she looks like other actresses. She looks like. It's funny because I was trying to describe this movie to somebody. And I was like, yeah, you know, Laura Dern. It's not Laura Dern. No, but it also it doesn't just look like Laura Dern, but it looks like um, uh, uh, what is her name from the from the serial killer movie? The serial killer movie. Yeah, <laughs> I know that was terrible. I'm Kelly sorry. Lynch. Kelly Lynch is the actual actress's name. Yes, but she looks like other. She looks like a lot of other people, and it was driving me crazy. I kept being like, "How is this not?" <laughs> I I don't know if I thought of Laura Dern. But I, you know, she does remind me of the people. But then Matt Dillon. Now, I will say, I knew when I was a kid, I kind of recognized Matt Dillon from some other things. The Outsiders. Yeah, I mean, Dude. I'm assuming the Outsiders primarily, but it could have been something else. I'm not. I don't know. He was also in um, that one about teenagers, the one that was like the. Um, they double featured it at the Lightbox uh, Film Center with Suburbia. It was a. Uh, 
Uh, oh, what is that called? Living on the Edge. Oh, yeah, Living on the Edge. Uh, I, she also looks like Juliette Lewis to me a little bit. <laughs> Juliette Lewis. Yeah. She really does. She, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyways, so, Anyways. I, so I, then I, I watched it again a few years ago just as like a, oh, this is something. And to be honest, I think I had it confused with... um. Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then I watched it and was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, side note, is this a William S. I guess we're going to get into it, but is this a Burroughs story? Is this no, based off a Burroughs was story? In it, though. He's in it. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know. I don't believe he, he wrote the book or anything like that. Okay. It is based on a book, though. I do know. Right, that. right, right. So, anyways, and then I had never seen My Own Private Idaho, and I've been wanting. It's one of yeah. those movies that you know you want to see. It's I, one of those movies that had been so highly heralded to me that you didn't want to that see. That I no, I wanted to see. I just never had the opportunity. And then right. when we decided to talk about this, I was like, "Oh fuck yeah!" And it was the chance to watch this movie. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, there's not that many movies, but I like River Phoenix's movies. I do the ones I've seen. We're and, gonna get and, into that, but I love River Phoenix movies. Yeah, especially oh. the 1991 River Phoenix, yeah. like. Because simultaneously while he was doing this, he was shooting Dogfight. Have you seen that movie? I have. I love it's that really movie. Good. I love that movie. I love Lily Tomlin because of that movie. So um, before we jump into today's topic, uh, we, sh- sh- we got a couple things to get out of the way. First off, um, we want to say uh, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, yes. Without you, we wouldn't exist. We got some new ones re- lately. Shout out to matt uh snyder matt matt went from uh one person who emailed me for a t-shirt mm-hmm. and now over like a couple months he's like super fan like he, nice. he hits us up about episode stuff i see him in like the lehigh valley horror group posting stuff he's just a cool dude and i'm glad that he's a part of our community now uh and i also have to say uh what up i don't think he's a patreon subscriber but uh uh josh who said what up to me at uh he came to basically all the kung fu johns nice uh and and i want to say thanks to everyone who came out to the kung fu johns yeah crippled avengers and the 36 chamber um Dude, we had a good turnout big so. up to haunt love for those sweet shirt designs yeah, they're so cool. i love them so much oh, yeah, it's all I, good i have to give respect justin's been really awesome uh not just doing that but some other stuff uh at my work and whatever mm-hmm. he's just been really cool to work with lately and i just really appreciate him and he he I think he, uh, besides being one of my favorite of our guests, mm-hmm. he's just a guy who like supports us, and you know he doesn't have to do that. He's a busy yeah. guy. He's got he's a, a lot busy of stuff dude. Going on. He's got a beautiful family and all yeah. this other stuff. Yeah, I know because I ran into him at the beach so the random. other day. That's so. Random. And it was so funny because, like, you know, I was it was me and Melani. We were celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary. Went down to Ocean City just to you know just have some beach time in the in sure. the hot. Sure. And uh, while we were swimming. I hear my name, and who is it but my man, Justin. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. I gave him a hug, and it was pretty awesome. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Well, I just want to bring it up, and like anyone else who tweets at us or supports us or writes for us or does stuff behind the scenes, I, I, I just, you know, there's a whole network of people who got our back, and we're not the biggest operation in the world um, audience-wise, but uh, <laughs> but the people who are sort of loyal, we really appreciate you, and who spread the word about us, we really appreciate you. And I think one of the things people like about a podcast and the community around it is the interaction. And we're not always great. At, you know, Josh is very not on social media. I'm on social media somewhat, but I tend to just focus on my... Usually, especially if you follow me personally, <laughs> it's just me whining and complaining, and that's not fun for anybody. So... <laughs> 
Um, I just, I don't want people to think like we just put this shit out there and we don't appreciate you for checking it out. We really appreciate you for checking no, it out. No, we really, really do appreciate and, it. And we really want your feedback. If you think something's great or you think something's terrible, and that's what I love about Matt as a, as a Patreon person now. He's like been really responsive to let yeah. me know what he thinks, and I really appreciate that. Uh, so other folks, like, also, hit us up. if you have ideas for shows, definitely let us know because, you know, we're always searching for new topics and we don't know everything contrary to popular belief. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to create the false narrative that we're going to take your idea. No, 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 no. But if your idea is good, we'll definitely use it, and we'll definitely pretend we thought of it. So yeah, that's the thing. We'll give you no credit. (laughs) Like literally, if you're like, oh, this will be cool because I'll get a shout out. No, no, you're not not getting a shout out. You're getting a shot. Yeah, of course you are. Come on. <laughs> I got to make sure people... I hope people know I'm joking when I say shit like that. <laughs> I, I talk shit sometimes on here and on horror business, and I hope people know I'm joking around. We all know you're joking, Liam. I also have to say, not that he listens to the show that much, but I have to say big up to uh, my man, Doug Tilly. He, uh, he's been working on a new version of the site. This is People don't know shit like this. Like There are certain aspects of Cinepunks. It's just like me and Doug. Yeah. Like, he doesn't... like. People who even are deeply on the Cinepunks don't even know. And then one day he'll just be like, hey, this is what I got done so far. And people are going to have their minds blown because it's, it's true. fucking sick. Definitely true. Uh, so stuff like that, like it's just people, there's a lot of people behind the scenes doing cool stuff. So respect. Uh, uh, we also have to say what up to our official sponsors. Officious sponsors. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Um, they are the Lehigh Valley's premier screen printing company. But don't let the words Lehigh Valley fool you. They're good. <laughs> 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 no, I, you know, here's the thing. I work there. Um, I really would love to tell you not to come in because I, I don't want to be responsible for your shirts. I don't want to email you. One of my new jobs is I email people to make sure that they give us money. And I don't right. want to email you. I'd like to have less work to do. But the reality, <laughs> the reality, the simple reality is people come to us because we do great work and we have the best possible prices. That's it. That's the reality. Boom. Chris, Chris just wants to print stuff. He's not trying to like, this isn't like I needed a business because I'm a businessman and this right. just happened to be the business. This Chris is just passion. like, he likes to, he likes screen printing. He likes to do this and he's going to work with you to make something cool. And that's what's important to him is making something cool to right, make something right. that you're going to be happy with and we're going to be happy we did it. So xlvacx.com, come on out. I mean, personally, don't come out, but <laughs> the reality is like, if you want something screen printed, this is the only place you should go. There's really, you're wasting your time anywhere else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they did great cross key shirts. Anyway. I like that. I like your personal, the cross key <laughs> shirts are cool. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it, it's coming up in a segment in a sec here, but if anyone was at fucking Camp Blood, yeah, did you get a Camp Blood shirt or a Camp Blood bandana? Guess who printed that shit? Boom! I mean, I didn't personally do shit, no. <laughs> but I counted them to make sure we had enough. Right, right, right. That's, Man, that's my role. That's awesome. Camp Blood bandanas? Yeah, they made bandanas. I no here's the shit. thing. I was skeptical of the bandanas. I love Harry, but I, I saw the design. I was like, "Come on, bandanas! What the fuck?" And then we printed them, and I was like, "Okay, that shit's cool." This is dope, man. <laughs> they, I'm sorry. They looked sick. Sick. They had the tourist trap, John. Yeah. They had Freddy. They had Jason. Did you go? With you went bag. to Camp Blood, right? You were there. Yeah, we were going to talk about it. When, when was I going to bring it up? I don't know. There, there's an appropriate segment for that. Type yeah, of thing. it's like a. It's like you know. Uh, it's like a segment, right? It's, a it's thing like a, that it's we a, do. It's like a patented thing, and I believe and it. Was I think it's called... the. It's like the only segment on the show because we're bad at segments because <laughs> we don't have any segments. So it's just the one segment. Yeah, I believe. What do we call it? 
Uh, oh, yeah. Whacking on track. So sick. So I, I'll be honest. I missed Isaac on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, Liam. What have you done that is whack? And what have you done that is on track? All right. <sighs> I just took a hit of mine. He just took a swig of whiskey. Diet, Edgebreaker. Diet, <laughs> Diet blackberry sweet tea. That is on track. No. Okay. Uh, I think primarily the thing I want to talk about is Camp Blood. Yes. There's other things I'll mention after Camp Blood. But I feel like Camp Blood was a thing. I mean, I've gone to the drive-in a couple times for a couple things lately. Yeah. There's been some fun stuff. But the the thing, the biggest thing I went to that I want people to know about so that they don't miss out on future Exum stuff was Camp Blood. If you've never been to Camp Blood, it's, I think, one of their most popular uh, events in the mm. morning. It was packed. Yeah. And it's basically a weekend of um, slasher slash camp movies, sort of summary-themed movies. Mm-hmm. All on 35 millimeter, obviously, because it's exhumed. And then they also do games beforehand. They had like sack races and oh, egg toss and tug of, war. tug of war. Yeah, that's awesome. And then some people cosplay as Jason or other. You know, one of the movies they showed was My Bloody Valentine. There's nice. people dressed up as the miner. That's awesome. And then, of course, they got merch and other vendors come out. And it's a whole thing. Yeah. They even had a specialty burger, which was their usual burger, but with mozzarella sticks on it. That's kind of cool. What do they call it? I don't fucking know. It didn't have a, a snappy. I'm sure it did. Name? I just don't know oh, what it is. Wow. Okay. Fine. And, and it was so packed. I went up early. Like mm. everyone else from the area was going to go later. Mm. And I just went up right after work, and it was almost already packed. So it really? was good. I went up because and you got everyone else. Everything? Well, yeah, everyone else had to park further away, and they just came and put their chairs. So oh, if you've wow. never been to Mahoning, most people don't sit in their car. You just bring a radio and a mm. chair, and you sit outside the car with the radio, and you can see and hear pretty nice. good. We were only a few rows back, and it was cool seeing people there. You know, uh, Sam, friend of the show, Sam Deegan was there. Oh, they celebrated Dan Scully's birthday? Yep. Dan and Garrett and Ryan were all there. Awesome. Um, a community of podcasters on the topic of film. Yes, that's true. That's true. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll all form a crew one day. That's yeah, then cool. get a matching jacket. Oh, man. Dan wanted me to come tomorrow and record. <laughs> For uh, movie, movie. Yeah, they're doing Psycho 2. Oh. And I like that movie, so I wanted to talk about it, but I can't. I got to pick up the family from the airport. So, right, right, right. Anyways, all that to say, uh, Camp Led is a big event, and I was there the night that they did uh, They were do- They did a Friday the 13th Part 2, mm-hmm. My Bloody Valentine, and uh, Valentine. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> you can tell I'm from Philadelphia. Water ice. Yo, go my, on. Va- my bloody Valentine. <laughs> Valentine. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. Wow. Listen to that. Oh, God. You can I take that the kid fucking, out of Philly. Got that fucking hoagie mouth. Yeah. Every once in a while. It comes out every mouth. once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last one was Tourist Trap. Of those three movies, Tourist Trap is actually my favorite. Yeah. I could not stay up, man. I fell asleep during part of My Bloody Valentine when it was... when it. And it don't me wrong. So for those of you who don't know, if you don't follow me on social media, the family's been away. Right. So I was living dangerously. I was like, I'm, it's fucking Friday night. I'm going to stay up late, whatever. Yo, two movies is my limit. <laughs> and you were like, I'm out. I can't do three movies. Man I just fucking down. can't. Yeah. I, uh, of course, well, I'll get to it in a second. So uh, all that to say, it's a lot of fun. A lot of people there are excited. They sold a lot of merch, which is great for LVAC. They nice. printed all the shit. Then that Saturday, they had to print a whole new batch of shit because no they sold out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then I, I hear... Saturday was fun for people too. I didn't go. Yeah. Um, and then there were a few things going on Saturday. 
There was the screening of The Hidden with the director. Oh, I love that movie so much. I couldn't fucking go because I was getting ready for our screening of uh, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. So good. I feel like it went well. We had a good crowd. Thanks to everybody who said hi to me there. Yeah. Um, hopefully some of the people who come out will check out the podcast now. I know. It's hard because uh, you do an event like that and you get a lot of people who are excited about the movie. Yeah. That doesn't mean those people know what the fuck a podcast is. And so right, it's, right, right. it's, I think it's been part of our issue where people might even get our weird niche where we're like movies and punk and, yeah. you know, this whole alternative culture thing. That doesn't mean they know what a podcast is. We get, I get people all the time who are like, so what is this thing you do? Yeah, I, know I it's definitely a get a lot of people that are like, how do I listen to your podcast? And I'm just like, do you have a computer <laughs> or a cell phone or anything? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just hard. I I think uh, if you spend enough time with millennials, you think everyone knows how their phone works. Right. And that's not true. That's definitely not Especially true. Especially anyone over 30. Right. What you find with people over 30 is about half people over 30 are completely integrated. They know how their technology works. They yeah. know what the internet is. They get mm-hmm. all the social medias. Then the other half, and I mean a full-on fucking half. 50%. Are like, I don't even own a computer, man. If I didn't need a smartphone, I wouldn't get one. Right. You know, I'm certainly not listening to a I'm definitely of the, I'm of the, well, it's more inconvenient for me not to have a smartphone now. Sure. other people, so I have to have one. And that's just where I'm at now. So Yeah, but you're not like, you're not a big social media person. No. You... Only listen to like two other podcasts. So you don't really, you're not really into podcasts. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I this listen true. to so many fucking podcasts. And for me, yeah. I feel be, uh, I'm the dude, this, uh, my relationship to the podcast is kind of like my relationship to movies or to music. To other people, I seem like a crazy person. <laughs> but to the people whose taste I respect, yeah. I'm like, fuck, I don't listen to any podcast. I don't, I don't barely <laughs> know any music or movies. I'm so behind the times. It's really funny. Anyway. Anyway. So thanks to everyone who came out. Hopefully at least a few of you figured out how the fuck a podcast works. <laughs> and, and you're you, now and you're listening, listening to, to us. Uh, and the people who... And hey, kudos for joining. Yeah. Kudos and there's a few joining. people who came out who came out because they listened to the podcast. Oh. They made a trip. They drove Whoa. from further away to come. Yeah. So nice. I, I really appreciate you. And I really appreciate uh, all the folks who came out. So that's that's was Saturday. Then motherfucking Sunday... Like I said, the family's away, so Liam will play. <laughs> Liam's going crazy. I went crazy, and I went to another thing. So let's clarify. This is the first time. <laughs> this is I'm not kidding. This is the first time since my child was born I did an event Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. That wow, has not happened so since insane. Maeve came Who are alive. You? Yeah. I'm, I'm like a young 32-year-old <laughs> out on the town enjoying very life. So Sunday, I, I there's a lot of things going on Sunday. I could have gone to see the Impalers. Right. Neither of us did that. I could have gone to a bunch of other events. Um, I could have come down to record. But uh, the reality was Adriana Gober, uh, committed cinepunk, editor, writer, hopefully got a new podcast coming out with her. And all-around great individual. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Well, she got us tickets to go see Nightmare on Elm Street 2 with the director, who's the same nice. director as The Hidden. He was in the area for the... Oh, Comic-Con. wow. And Mark... Uh, Mark Patton, who's the star of the blonde-haired guy. Yeah, well, basically the only Freddy girl who doesn't get any respect because he's a dude. Basically, right? right I mean, right, his right, whole story right. is like, who never shows up again in another Freddy movie? Him. He's only yeah, him. Everyone else true. comes back. Who doesn't get invited to any cons to do anything? Yep. I mean, he occasionally gets invited to like very specific ones, but like there's a panel at some horror con, and it's the Freddy girls, and everyone pretends part two just didn't fucking happen. Well, 
R two is not so good. I hundred percent disagree. Wow. I will say that my current order is one three two. One three two. Every movie after two, like every movie after three, you mean? Every movie after three is not as good as two. Period. Whoa. Um, I know that's controversial because of New Nightmare. I will say I need to rewatch New Nightmare. I have not seen it. But people who put four and five above two, I assume hate gay people. I assume that's what's going on there. Because <laughs> oh there's no other logical explanation. Right. That's not true. A lot of people don't like two because it sort of changes the... It, the here's here's what it, why it bothers Here's me. the thing. Two, by two, the mythology isn't fully established. Exactly. And that's why it's so wishy-washy to people who come into Nightmare on Elm Street not at the beginning. But this is what I'm saying. You can't judge two for breaking the mytho- the mythos. Right. The mythos was barely established. There's yeah. only one other movie, and that movie, uh, uh, people try to interpret it as like it's very clear what it is. Yeah. But one no. movie in, you can't say, well, it's breaking the rules. What fucking rules? <laughs> and to be fair, the people who made the movie didn't understand the movie. The yeah. reality is the fucking director of that movie, same uh, guy who directed The Hidden, Philly guy, by the way. Oh, noted. Uh, uh, Jack Shoulder. He had to talk them into keeping Robert England around. They were going to fire his ass. And they were going to put another Freddy in there? Yeah, they are like, who the fuck cares? Freddy doesn't even matter that much. What does it matter? And uh, Jack had to be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Freddy is, is, is the, the thing here. But what's crazy, this is what's crazy. In the actual contract that Mark Patton signed, he was supposed to be... Like, everything's supposed to say featuring Mark Patton. He's supposed to be doing all the press, whatever. Uh-huh. And then the movie comes out, and they just never caught... He never did any press. He never did... Really? They just ditched his... Con- they just didn't bring him out. And wow. they had made the decision, oh, no, Freddy's the star, which is, in a way, the right decision, yeah. but it just meant it fucked his career. He did this movie, put all the time in this movie, and then, and then it's then like... never acted again. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't I don't know if he was in anything else. He might have done, like, one or two other things, but he eventually, oh. his experience with this movie was part of why he quit acting. That's crazy. Also, for years, the fucking script writer tried to say there's nothing gay about the movie. You can't watch that movie and tell me that the whole thing isn't about the struggle with your sexuality. That's what the movie's fucking about. I have to rewatch it, is what you're telling me. Have you not watched it for a I haven't long... seen it in a while. I haven't seen any of them in a while, actually. I mean, at one point, the gym teacher gets strapped up naked and whipped in the ass. So eh. you're right. It's not gay. There's Definitely nothing gay. Definitely nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he... What, that doesn't happen to everybody? I mean, his 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 teen student finds him in a fucking S and M bar. He makes him run around, and then he sends him to the showers. And then he's basically like watching him in the showers while he plays with his balls. Granted, they're not his literal balls, but he's playing with balls while he's. I mean, come <laughs> so on. basically, the iconography is there, is what you're telling me. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, fair enough. I'm just quoting Mark on this one. But, <laughs> uh, anyways, it's anyway. all, it was it's also weird too because I I think part of what. Uh, people reject the movie it, yeah it's there's some corny bits and whatever whatever but it's also the idea that like he's the victim and the female character sort of like steps in to save him mm-hmm. and a lot of very harsh people are like oh well, she's not even that attractive or whatever oh wow and a you shouldn't judge a movie based upon the attractiveness of the <laughs> actresses but b it's also just clearly not true like yeah. I think she's actually distractingly attractive in the movie mm-hmm. and so it's also funny to me that she's not sexualized at all i mean there's one shot of her in a one-piece bathing suit getting out of a pool right other than that she's fully dressed meanwhile marks it is fucking tidy whities with his dog <laughs> hanging out the whole goddamn movie <laughs> dancing around in his room and shit humping shit and like he's been shit yeah and Man, we'll i don't remember any of that oh my god you need to 
I will rewatch. re-watch it. I will rewatch it re-watch as the this movie. discussion. And then when we come back for episode 86, I will retell my thoughts. I would say rewatch it. Don't think Wes Craven. Think John Waters. The whole movie will change for you. Wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jack Shoulder's like, I just shot what was in the script. I didn't, I didn't get any <laughs> subtext. And I'm like, come on, man. Also, side note, he directed The Hidden right after he did Nightmare 2, right? Yeah. These are both movies in which people are hiding their true identities. Ah, Isn't that really? I mean, The Hidden noted. is whatever. Yeah, uh, Comic Lachlan is great in that movie. Oh, I love Comic Lachlan. Dude. Okay, so, let's move on. Anyway, so this was, it was just three nights of awesome. So I wanted to highlight Good work, that. man. Uh, as far no as, wonder you look tired. Oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I mean, it's been a few days. It's Thursday today, but... Uh, but yeah, so other than that, not too much hugely exciting um, since we last recorded. A few things here and there, you know, got to see some movies and whatever. Uh, Any standouts? The, well, there's one thing I, I want to save towards the end because I think you're going to want to discuss it with me because okay. I think you saw it. But the other things I wanted to mention, um, I told you a little bit about this. I've been diving back into today mostly, but it'll probably go on into the fucked up catalog. Yeah. And I have to say what up to friend of the show and personal friend Vinny Paz. He's a good best, and we love his podcast. Broad so they haven't down. put out a new episode in a while, but when they do, we'll listen to it. But he was just tweeting about how much he liked a specific fucked up song, which is like, this is what's fun about punk, right? Like, oh, Vinny likes a fucked up song? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just like yeah, a yeah. weird world we're in. But it made me go like, yeah, that song is good. So I listened to the song, and I watched the video for the song, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I also like this song. For you know what? I'm like down a rabbit hole. So that yeah. that's on track for me is like remembering that I'm one of the few people who likes Almost the entire... I mean, there's a couple newer songs that don't hit for me uh-huh. for various reasons, but the stuff that works, like he specifically lifted that Queen of Hearts song, mm. that song fucking destroys me. I like cry when I hear that song. It's crazy. <laughs> but then I also put on there, on Spotify, they have the uh, singles collection. The yeah. first song on the singles collection is like when they were trying to sound like... Like like Black Flag? Yeah, or like Negative Approach. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, that song is so tough. And so hard. I, 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 I swear to God, if I have my druthers, that's probably the song that will start this episode. It's called it's just, something different, too, right? Because when I got yeah. it the first time, it's called Epics and Minutes. And yeah, it's not called that. it's not called yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Or whatever's on Spotify is not called that. But right. It's worth, if you, if you haven't given time to Fucked Up's catalog, check it out. I would also say if you have, but only to specific parts. So some people who really like early stuff haven't given the later stuff a chance. I would say do that. If you're a later fan, like some people have discovered fucked up with pitchfork, basically yeah, yeah. don't feel insecure. Like, well, I can't listen to old stuff cause it's too tough for me. Like give it a chance. I think you'll like it. Yeah. If you Eat. like that stuff, you're tapped in already. So. Yeah. Just buy in all the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention was the thing you sent me. Oh man. The Michelle Negio cello record. Yeah, what is the name of that record again? It is called, uh, what's it called? Ventriloquist. Ventriloquist. Which is a great name for a fucking covers record. Dude, it's so beautiful. I mean, I was already in a little bit of a kick with her uh, because she did an episode of one of my favorite podcasts, Heat Rocks, talking about Princess Purple Rain, and it was a really great episode. If you've never listened to it, check it out. Uh, but that got me listening to some of her music more, and so when you told me that, I was like, oh yeah, I'll give it a chance. Ventriloquism. Ventriloquism. Right, right, right. It's fucking, oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Big like up to my bandmate, Carly. Uh, she is the one who told me about it in practice this week, and uh, I've been listening to it nonstop. And I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, yo, this is going to destroy Liam. I better get him before his family comes home. <laughs> so I sent it right to you. And then I don't really have any wax, but but, but I think this is a mixed one, and, uh-huh. I, and I think I want to hear your reaction to it. Okay. One of the things I made a special effort to go see with Susan, uh-huh. it's a little movie called crazy rich asians oh i did not see it yet. you didn't see it yet yeah i was so excited to talk to you about it here's the thing man what it's still about class 
Well, here's the thing. I, irritating I, to I, me. But I just thought that you saw, because of people don't know, we, we get a hookup. Yeah. We see movies for free. A lot By we, I mean Josh Alvarez. <laughs> and so I thought that because of your hook, I didn't mean just because it's an Asian movie. Yeah, no. I just mean I, you can see it for free. I, In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to go see it so bad was so that I could discuss it with you on the show because yeah, no. I assumed you had seen it. I have not seen it. All right. Well, Did I'll you give like you, it? Uh, so I'll give you my take on it. Okay. If you can possibly ignore the horrifying class issues, though class right. is part of the movie. Like, let's be clear about something. I think people are going into this movie thinking it's only, uh, it's only prosperity porn. Right. That's not quite true. There's a lot of that going on. Yeah. But there's a little bit of a balance of that with her character because she's supposedly not rich. Of humble. To be yeah. clear, her mom might be humble. She's a professor at NYU. The starting salary is somewhere around two hundred grand. So <laughs> she's not poor. But the movie, because the family she's interacting with is so uber rich, yeah, that she feels poor. And that sort of comes across, right? right? Her family isn't like established or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, if if you can sort of put that part off on your brain, this is the first real ass romantic comedy in a long ass time. Like if you really think about it, the there has not been a watchable romantic comedy, like a tolerably funny and cute romantic comedy, in goddamn years. <laughs> in in so long. I mean, wait, do you celebrate the genre though? Uh, just the just, there are a couple of highlights that are not so bad. Okay, and what this movie does is it's not just romantic comedy; it's also a sort of like almost fifty style, like you oh. know, fish out of water adventure movie. You know, it's a very classic mm-hmm. movie in a lot of ways. There, literally, there's only two white characters with speaking roles, and they're at the beginning of the movie being racist. <laughs> so, like, just the fact that it's all fucking Asian people is kind of cool. Yeah. And and wh- not only is it all Asian people, it's all awesome Asian people. Well, yeah, and, and so well. You know, uh, side note: Constance Wu. I'm just going to go ahead and say it though. Okay, I don't like Aquafina. Right. I don't think she's fucking funny. I don't like in her music the fake rap thing. I don't even know who she is. She raps. <laughs> she <laughs> tries to rap. Right. No. And good. she is part of a large group of like uh, Asian folks who are like, I grew up with black people, so. I'll just be all hip hop and it's cool and it's like, is it cool though? <laughs> I mean, it's not my. Bad. I got two words for that. Mountain Brothers. She's not the fucking. The Philadelphia Asiatics. Son, she's not the fucking Mountain Brothers, man. Dude, that's why she, she's. No, but hey, you know, pick up though. I mean, here's the thing: they're joke raps. She's trying to be funny. They're not like she's not like a rapper rapper. She's, she's not like, of the culture. It just doesn't. It feels like a put on to me. Anyways, it doesn't matter right. if she was fucking funny in the movie. I'd say she was funny. To me, she's not funny. Mm. Uh, however, um, Jimmy O Yang. Jimmy O Yang is funny. I love him so much. The uh, what is his name? There's a there's a one very prominent gay character in the movie who's actually a Filipino actor. He is really fucking funny. Um, and you know, there's lots of great performances. Right. But you know. Here's here's the thing about it for for me personally, is that you really do have to at least a little bit put away some of your class concerns because there's you get to see some of Singapore you get to see the way that other people are living a little bit. Uh, oh, Nico Santos as Oliver is great, and right. and to be fair, side note, um, while the movie is about a Chinese family. Mm-hmm. Not all the actors are Chinese, which I actually think is a good thing because it yeah. brings in a variety of other people. But 
so there's the class issue, and I think everyone is very aware of the class issue. Mm. One of the things that doesn't get talked about as much in some of the, maybe not criticism, but commentary about the movie that I just want to bring up is that Singapore is not actually China. Yeah. <laughs> and the Chinese folks who live in Singapore, who are a lot of them very rich, uh-huh. are outsiders a little bit. Uh-huh. And what the movie doesn't do is show you any of the other people who live in Singapore for the most part. Right. There's a lot of brown folks. There's a lot of island folks. There's a lot of immigrants. Like, there's a huge... Like, the only thing you see is they have armed guards at this guy's house because he's so rich. Uh-huh. And those are Sikhs. Right. And so you see them in their turbans and they're brown and you're like, okay. But their only role is to be scary. They don't say anything. <laughs> right. And you know that there are people who aren't Chinese in the movie because when they're in the market, they're speaking... Other the guys. One of the ways you see that he's very worldly is he speaks to people in their own language. Right. Only you have to know enough to know that that's not Chinese. Most American audiences aren't going to go. Oh, he's speaking various languages. So the very speak. <laughs> They're not even going to go. Oh, well, that's pho, So that must be Vietnamese. Right, or, right, that's right, it. right. Like he, they get this huge. Uh, they show Singapore. Singapore is a giant mashup of all these yeah, Southeast Asian yeah, cultures, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the food they get shows that. But the reality is they don't give you the context. So most viewers aren't going to fucking know. They just see a Chinese family. They go, oh, it's Chinese people, and it's like no singapore is a multicultural place <laughs> yeah and the final thing is like um they don't really talk about they sort of mentioned like oh his family built singapore mm. it's like yeah they did they came in as rich outsiders oppressed a bunch of fucking people and created this giant rich nation state right and it was kind of on the backs of some folks that were not chinese and like yeah. it's hard because in america a lot of the money and power is with the people who Yes, they're immigrants here in the sense of colonially, mm-hmm. but over time they've become quote unquote American. Right. Whereas in a variety of places in Southeast Asia, the Chinese folks who come in with money, they're mm-hmm. outsiders. Sometimes they're the victims of some sort of ethnic bias. Right. But they have lots of power and money because they were fleeing communist China and they came in with their money. Yeah. Or, I mean, this family's been there, according to the book, the story of the book, like since the 1800s. So they've been right. building this. So they've been around. They built this nation. they doing basically. this thing. Yeah. So all that to say, you know, I'm not Asian. I don't really have a stake in Singapore identity. But just knowing the little bit about Singapore that I do, it would have been cool to have a broader variety of cultures represented. Mm. On the other hand, that's not the story they're telling. They're story yeah, they're telling, telling the story of an American Asians. woman. I mean, that's the other thing that should be put out there. This is actually a story about American. It's an American woman who is a fish out of water. She's, she's a mm. Chinese American, yeah. but she's an American woman put in a culture where maybe she thought she would be sort of connected. And she realizes these people don't see me as one of them. They see me as an outsider. Well, that could be an experience that could, they could tell the story about you. They could yeah. tell the story about me going to Puerto Rico. You know, anyone who is Americanized, but isn't white could tell a really poignant story about an experience right. going someplace where you think these are my people. And, and that's, yes, that's not, yeah. and that's what the movie's about. And so it's moving that way, but I don't, I can't watch it and not in the back of my head go, Ooh, this is not a full picture, and I'm a little concerned about some of the ways of whatever. On the other hand, is it still charming and fun? It's mostly charming and fun. Yeah, it's like a good. I See, left being like, yeah, like, dude. Growing up in a Filipino family that is all immigrants, that yeah. we are first generation, me and my brother, right? Yeah, and all our circle of friends. Uh, one of the things that still resonates with me is this status right. culture, right? And that was the the. I mean, like, 
I'm not saying anything about the movie because I haven't seen it. So right. I can't criticize it or anything like that. But right. I will say that I've been averse to seeing it because it just seems to be an indulgence of that status chasing thing that all of my immigrant friends who grew up here first generation have had to deal with. To be fair, she shows them up. It's about her clashing with that culture. Right. And in the end, I mean, not spoiler alert, but you could probably guess, winning. She wins. Yeah, she kisses you know? somebody. But, nice. but it doesn't talk about like she wins as an American who like is herself part of an imperial culture that we pretend mm-hmm. isn't. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that's the other aspect too, is that like, oh no, they're mean to her and she's American. Like some part of me's kinda like, yeah, well, you know, it's not like Americans haven't earned. You know, I do like that Michelle Yeoh's in there. I would see it just for her. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love. Michelle I think Yeoh. you should see it. I, yeah, I yeah, will yeah. straight up say to everyone listening, you should see Crazy Rich Asians, and I hope it it continues to make all the money in the world so that they start letting Asian people star in movies. That would be cool. Like maybe we'll have a more complicated story next time. Like I, right, I don't right, want right, to pull right. this movie down at all, but I still have to name the things that I noticed, which is kind of like this isn't the full picture. And I hope, yeah. and my concern is not so much with its Asian audiences. Like I think a lot of people seeing the movie who themselves uh, could identify with any aspect of what's on the screen might notice these things because they're aware of the various issues at play in, you know, a nation like Singapore, Mm. but American audiences, some of them might've missed it. And I think it's fine that they did. I don't think it ruins the experience, but to me, I'm kind of like, it would have been cool if that could have been brought in, even if it's not in the book, Mm. if it could have been part of the movie. And I think there was some intentionality in the movie in how they portrayed things. So I found it charming and fun. It's a good time. And I hope it is a good first step for more movies with lots of Asian people in it. And no white folks at all. Yeah. <laughs> That'd hey. be great. Hey, man. It's the world I want to live in. Anyway. <laughs> so, for me, on track, I saw a couple movies. Um, I saw a movie by a director, Anish Chag- Chaganti, called Searching, starring John Cho. Oh, I hear it's good. This movie is... Um, you know, have you seen the unfriended, like those weird millennial type movies that no. are, take place over like a laptop? No. So this had the earmarks of that. So I did not go in with a very high expectation. It's a screen. Um, it's a, I think they're calling them screen movies. Screen movies. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, I will say, actually, so um, this movie is directed by uh, um, by uh, a Asian Indian dude and directed or starring John Cho as the main guy. Um, takes place over the internet. Basically, what happens is his daughter goes missing. Sure. And he doesn't know how to find her. So he calls a detective and, like, they start saying, like, you should start searching through her because she leaves her laptop and she's, like, gone. Yeah. And so, like, you should search her social media. And basically, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thriller kind of story told through the lens of your Facebook and your Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else, like all these like outlets. And then there's like a fake one that's in there about like this streaming thing, like kind of like Periscope, but sure. Sure. Um, the movie, despite the constraints of being told through the screen of a computer is actually very compelling. And, uh, it has a lot to do with, um, their thematic elements of like family and like honor and like terms of like what makes good people, good people, so on and so forth. And, um, Overall, I found it to be a very interesting watch, and it was very fun to see it. Um, it so, what happened was, I got in on the press on the press list. That they had three rows of the press rows reserved for uh, for PAF for Philly Asian American Film Society or whatever or film festival, and uh, so me and Melani walked in, and a lot of the other seats were taken for the press seats. So we just sat in the PAF seats, thinking, I don't know if anyone's gonna be upset with us and uh 
Nobody said anything, but then when like other white critics people sat in the rows for that, they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, guys. This is for Path. You can't sit here." Yeah. So like these dudes got like kicked out, and me and Melody were just sitting there, just like, "I don't know if they're gonna come for us, but I think we're good. <laughs> totally awesome." Playing so, that Asian card. Let, let me tell you, I played it and it worked, and we won. So, but uh, yeah, I definitely highly recommend that movie. I think it's a it's a really fun thriller, and um, I mean, here's the thing: I am Deborah Messing's really good in it. John Cho's really good in it. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm stoked on the idea of a whole genre of movies that focus on screens per se, but if if I mean someone, this is an idea I saw someone else post, but I think I agree with it. We got to figure it out, right? Because screens yeah. are such a big a part, big of, part our of our life lives at this point. that if they're not in movies, then that makes the movie fake. So yeah. why not figure out how to tell a movie that involve that at least involves screens, if not like makes it a focus? Because for some people, their focus is their screen. That's how yeah, they that's interact, how they with, they the interact with the world. So of course, the movie's going to at least speak to that. It's like when you see people in movies now that have flip phones. You're like, wait a minute, man. Every time I <laughs> that see doesn't a, seem every right. time I see yeah. a flip phone, I just think. Is this because you don't want to pay some company or something? Like, what's going on? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, Searching. Definitely thought it was really good. I think that you should see it. It doesn't matter if you see it in the big screen or not. It's one of those movies that it, the story's compelling enough, though. And uh, I thought it was really entertaining. I also saw the new Albert Hughes movie. Albert Hughes being one half of the Hughes Brothers uh, directing team who brought to you, brought you uh, Menace to Society, um, all those movies. He directed a movie called Alpha. Have you heard of this movie? This is a, a dog movie. It's about a dog. It's about yeah, a dog and a man. I know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not okay. interested in this. Now, I know. On its face, not exactly the most interesting movie. No, how I'm not interested. how man domesticated his best friend, yeah, the dog. Yeah, I'm not interested. That said, I got to see it in IMAX and 3D. And let me tell you, the visuals of this movie are stunning. Like, jaw-droppingly beautiful movie. I it's don't, I don't You don't have to watch it if you don't want to, but let me tell you. I uh, Okay. My issue with it was it's a very predictable movie. Yeah. It was like, you know, I can you, you can probably tell me exactly what happens right now. Like, kid gets hurt, stabs the dog, dog doesn't leave him, he helps the dog, then they become friends, so on and so forth. Yeah. That said, the visual component of this movie, the 3D was amazing. It just looked goddamn gorgeous. But it's about a dog. Yeah, yeah. That's a dog movie. I know. You're, you're a cat guy. But uh, I, that said, <laughs> no, I love dogs, but I just, I just don't. It's just not compelling to me on the surface. And and I get that. And you know what? You're very right to say so. But that said, there are some scenes in there that just look so stunningly beautiful. And you know, at, at the end of the day, it's a restatement of the fact that this is a visual medium to a degree. And no, that's fair. This guy, Albert Heed's more, just, more than a degree, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say that too. But man, this is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous fucking movie, man. And I can't even get over like how beautiful it was, really. I thought it was really, really... Oh, man, I'm going to have to see it now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then another movie that I saw uh, that opens this weekend, I believe, is a little movie called Kin. Have you heard of this movie? So I've seen the trailers, and it actually got me kind of stoked watching the trailers. But there's some part of me that's like, there's no way this is going to be good. Even though the trailer itself got me kind of stoked. It's totally good. Really? It's totally good. Oh, I want to see it so bad. Dude, so it's, 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 okay. I will describe it as a family drama with a touch of sci-fi. Okay. It is awesome. It's, uh, there's uh, a young man in the movie. um, So whatever, whatever the, whatever the extra. Whether they're aliens or extra-dimensional creatures or whatever they are, the thingies in the movie Dude. remind me of the entity, and I'm kind of or not the entity of uh, what's the motorcycle ghost movie? Uh, Ghost Rider? No. Oh, 
uh motorcycle ghost yeah uh fucking uh 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 what's his name is in it Char- <laughs> charlie sheen is in it you mean the wraith and it was a car the no it's a, i thought it was a motorcycle no man it's a car really yes really fuck it's on shutter. well regardless the outfit what's looks, up shutter the outfit, it's on the outfit looks like yeah it does it yeah. does but dude so um basically ken is the story of an ex-con who gets out of jail and uh he has these deep debts that he has to pay to these bad gangster people and they threaten bad his, gangster. yeah and they threaten his family and uh like things go awry and he ends up having to go on a cross-country trip with his uh 14 year old brother um eli played by miles truitt played wonderfully by the way and uh, along their way, like, these things happen, and um, Miles, like, they live in, like, a working-class Detroit-type neighborhood. Um, the young kid wants to get money, so he, like, goes scavenging through these rundown um, factories and stuff for scrapping and all this stuff. And one night that he's out there, he finds a, a couple dead alien bodies, like, these black-suited, no-head body dead things. And then he finds this, like, box that's like a gun. And the gun is an alien gun. It shoots like huge booms and all this other stuff. And uh, huge booms. gigantic booms. Walls are exploding. It's great. And uh, but basically, what happens is they go on this run, and and his brother, the ex-con guy, is like a terrible person. He's like a bad dude, and he's trying to like do right. But then he's just got his brother and his dad, and it's all this. And Dennis Quaid plays the dad. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is in there as one of the people that they meet along the way. Um, the movie, again, it's a family drama. It's sure. one of those things. And it's directed by a brother duo, the Baker brothers. Sure. Um, and the whole, there's a lot of themes of family and brotherhood in particular. And, right. Uh, it was um, James Franco's in it as the bad guy. He has a mullet. It's weird, but I'm into it. And um, overall, I thought that the movie, again, it's a family drama with a touch of sci-fi, but the touch of sci-fi is pretty excellent. It's pretty excellent. The one thing that it does is a, a, a phenomenon that happens in movies that I like to refer to as the Harry Potter effect. Okay. Wherein you take a character and then you like say, oh, no, no, this is already in motion. And you're just kind of coming into it in the middle. That kind of like weird notion of that is like. Oh, that's not weird. I'm into that. Yeah. It's, but it's a thing now. I kind of feel like it's a thing. Like, it, dude, it's, everybody's it's, waiting for like a letter from an no, owl. It's been a thing for a while. I feel like. Well, yeah. So is Harry Potter too, I guess, which yeah. I just watched. But that's <laughs> beside the point. So, um, I don't know. Overall, I thought that this movie was a very fun summer popcorn movie, while not being as vapid and empty. And uh, it was a uh, it was very fun movie to watch. So I, I highly recommend that as well. I uh, I just looked up the Wraith so I could get a idea in my mind if you're right about the car thing which, and, uh, which of course you are of course but more than half the pictures on imdb are just the the lead oh, actress charlie sheen and on a motorcycle no a no no the lead actress in various bathing suits and i'm like oh Sherilyn i'm just Fenn from, yeah uh, i'm just i'm just trying to see the goddamn car <laughs> and it's all these like it's like what did i sign on to mr skin or something like what the fuck is going on right now imdb jesus um, uh, the, so another thing I forgot to mention, but I really should because I was supposed to review it and I haven't done it yet, is a little movie called uh, The Ranger. Have you heard about this? No, I've not. It's a real punk hardcore, or, you know, not hardcore, but the real punk horror movie with a, it's so edgy and punk, and it's very punk, and it's so, there, yeah. it's so punk. Everything is it's so punk. It's a punk movie it's called The Ranger. By Pennywise, Pennywise. It's very, pu- it's very punk. <laughs> okay, so um, it, it, this is a uh, this movie did really well at Fantasia. It it did it's doing pretty well at a bunch of horror movie or horror or uh, 
genre film fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I follow one of the people in it on Instagram now. Like I, I'm kind of stoked in this movie, and uh, it it did really well at South by Southwest. A lot of people mm-hmm. I know saw it. Were like, it's so great, it's so great. So I was really hyped to see it, and we got a very special uh, in- email about it. Cinepunks, like you are the website that should review this movie because right, right, it's a right. punk movie and whatever, whatever. So I'm watching the movie. I watch the movie. Um, I think the main actress who's in it, who's uh, also in the defenders and which i did as well oh i like the defenders i thought it was all right anyway she's 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 a great actress she's great in the movie she Mm. really uh nails this role right the the thing that's gonna bum me and other people out is this whole punkness of the movie yeah uh remember when green room came out and one of the things i think we all really liked about green room is that it's a movie set in the world of punk but it's not really, in my mind, trying that hard. Right. It's not like it's look seamless. how look how fucking punk we are. Yeah. We're so fucking punk. I mean, to be fair, Green Room had a we're so fucking punk scene. Sure, they, one yeah. yeah, whatever. But so this movie is is it's sort of a retro movie, so it's trying to be eighties punk specifically, okay. and it it is very much so. Um, basically, uh, the movie opens with a young girl with this creepy forest ranger guy and this tragedy has happened Mm -hmm. and you can tell that they're sort of sharing a secret about it, but they don't really tell you what happened. Then they fast forward and she's like a street punk and she's at a punk show with her punk boyfriend and all Mm -hmm. the punks are there and they're all being very punk and there's drugs and punk rock and Uh booze and everyone's high. And then the cops show up and they're trying to get away from the cops. And this is all sort of the setup of the movie. And she gets stopped by a cop, and her boyfriend runs up to like help her, and he fucking stabs the cop. Huh. So now they gotta get out of town, and her and her friends, and they go to get out of town. So uh, you've watched enough movies to I've know one or two to know about this whole Hollywood punk phenomena. Yeah, in which it's one of my favorite things. In which punks, the way you represent in Hollywood movies that punks are punks is you have them act basically like Hell's Angels. But they just happen to look like punk rockers. Right. But they're like fucking crazy and they're assholes and everything is, yeah, yeah fucking punk. Light it on fire. <laughs> this movie has this really compelling central character uh-huh. and a villain who's a little bit over the top, but I like him. Right. But her whole punk crew are inhuman monsters. <laughs> now, they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to just be punk sort of late teens, early right. 20s who like... They're just punks. They're edgy. They're whatever. Yeah. The, the script does not give them a single moment of humanity almost. Oh. There's a couple in the movie, a, a gay couple in the movie. Uh-huh. And when they are loving each other a little bit, they give each other kisses or they're talking nice to each other, those moments are cute. Uh-huh. Everything else they do, they're monsters. Like, <laughs> at one point, they're in the woods hiding out. Yeah. And like they're fucking, they're spray painting trees. Oh, they're starting fires. They're looking through all of her shit. They're saying mean things to her. Yeah. There, uh, there's this whole idea that in order to be punk, you just have to be an asshole. Uh, and it, what doesn't work for me about that is that her character is so sensitive. Uh-huh. There's a really telling moment where she's telling them about the way her uncle died and how it was so traumatic. And they can't stay serious. They keep making jokes and whatever, whatever. And like, I don't know what your experience was, but my experience was the reason you found yourself in rooms of fucking freaks is because that's the way that normal kids act. And when you brought up fucked up shit to your punk or hardcore or whatever friends, yeah. they didn't make fucking jokes because yeah, no, the whole they reason they were there serious, is because yeah. they went through shit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the idea here that she's different from them because she's had trauma is so 
doesn't drive with my view. Yeah. Then you combine that with the the soundtrack is very trying hard. I mean, there's a few good songs. But there's a, there's a stigmatic song. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Um, there's a couple other. Uh, oh, there's a fucking uh, Dayglow abortion song. Cool. Okay. That's fun. That's fine. But there's a bunch of new bands that are really like snotty, like blah, blah, including a band that's called. Uh, what is it called? Something UK, like Destruction UK. They're a band from fucking Rochester, New York, <laughs> that's doing this shitty mashup of street punk and D-beat, and they have all charged out mohawks and shit, and they sing in an accent. Nice. And I'm like, you're from goddamn Rochester, New York. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think, I don't think anyone who cares about the movie is going to listen to this episode, so <laughs> I don't feel bad. And if I write a review, I'll focus more on what I liked, which is, the actual central tension and the yeah. way that that works out is pretty good. Yeah. I think it works out well. I like the villain. I like the way the the whole movie sort of resolves itself. And then it has a turn towards the end that I won't tell you about, but that worked for me. Uh. So dramatically, lots of things work. And I get that a lot of times in horror movies, we like to have a lot of characters we don't give a fuck about so that when they die, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But for me, it, it was the combo of them being, quote unquote, so punk as if in order to be punk, you have to be a certain kind of asshole. Yeah. That just turned me off a little bit. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. felt like it was trying too hard. And, you know, it's a shame because yeah. I feel like the rest of the movie's good. Yeah. Uh, but it is what it is. I, you Do know. you think it would have mattered if you weren't into punk? Well, apparently not because lots of people liked it. But <laughs> for me, it, it just run me. I mean, I think it would in the sense of like. Why is she the only character I care about? Like, yeah. make the other characters at least funny or, you yeah. know, give them something to do that isn't. It's okay. I'm actually okay that her boyfriend was specifically an asshole because he's the asshole who kind of got them in this situation. Yeah. But make the other people cool then. Yeah. But it's like everyone sucks. And I don't <laughs> I don't need yeah. everyone to suck. I just and have need... this one redemptive character. Yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't really work for me that yeah. much. I hear you. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I'm nitpicking a little bit. Because right. the overall movie was still a lot of fun, and if you get a chance to see it, I'd recommend seeing it. I, it was a good time, but but that aspect of it bothered me, and I know mm. our audience, yeah. and while some of them won't care, some of them will watch this movie and go, this is some bullshit, and so I just want to prepare them. Like, I still think you should give the movie a chance, but don't but go- just understand, it's a movie go, punk, so yeah, don't go in being it. like, oh, this is going to be a really authentic punk movie. It's like, <laughs> nah. It's a movie that has some characters in it who wear funny outfits and listen right. to Fair enough. music. Fair enough. A couple other things I did want to mention before we go into the meat of our, our episode. Oh, you have so many things. I know. No, I just want to big up uh, Nothing with their new record, Dance on the Blacktop. like it a lot. Uh, the new Devotchka record that came out last week, Night Falls Forever. This Night Falls Forever. I didn't know that band was still a band. They're pretty good, man. That record yeah. rules. So, you know. Um, yeah, and that's it. Oh, and also uh, I want to say... Uh, Another thing that I did that was on track since the last time we recorded was uh, I played a show at Amalgam Comic Books with uh, my friend oh, yeah. Nathan Gray How was and that? my friend Johnny Closen. It was awesome. So, dude, Amalgam, I love them so much. Ariel, Jasmine, the whole crew. Yeah. Uh, they got Randy. Everybody knows we love them. That yeah. we're, we're down for whatever they need this for. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate that they let me use their beautiful space to do a show. Yeah. Um, we didn't get that many people, you know, we got 13 people, but it was funny because I spoke to Nathan before the show and I was like, look, man, I did my best to promote. I hope you're not upset. And he was like, dude, we get to play in one of the coolest places in Philadelphia. And even if there's only a few people here, everybody here gives a shit about what we're doing. Yeah, that's true. So he, he was very kind. So I really appreciate that. And um, 
I think we did good. It was okay, three cool. three dudes stammering uncontrollably into a microphone. But other than that, <laughs> I thought we did okay. Well, that's just our so, podcast too. So. Yeah. Also true. Yeah. It's just the language we speak anymore. Yeah. But um, it was awesome. So thank you for Nathan. Thank you Johnny. And thank you to Amalgam. You guys are the best. So and that's it. So after the break, <laughs> we're gonna have to edit this. After yeah. the break, we're gonna talk about two movies by Gus Van Sant. Okay. Bye. Okay. Wins the war. It would be a major boost for fascists everywhere. And before long, Conrad, they would drag all freedom-loving people down to barbarism and, and war. Conrad, whether it's Spanish or English or American or Chinese, we are one class of people with the same aspiration, the same hope for a just and equal society. I want you to join with us. Make our fight, your fight. Let's come together. Let's come together. Let's take up the slogan, no pasada. They shall not pass. No pasada. And we're back. So the two movies that we watched uh, for this week's discussion is uh, Drugstore Cowboy and My Own Private Idaho. So I hadn't seen either of them prior to this. And um, 1989's Drugstore Cowboy. 1989. And then uh, My Own Private Idaho was 1991, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I hadn't uh, watched any of these movies. I mean, I guess I saw Gus Van Sant movies, like, tangentially without realizing, like, that's what I was seeing. The only thing I remembered about him was that he was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, counting money at a table, which, you know, I didn't get it at the time. I 
probably still don't. But um, yeah, I uh, watched Drugstore Cowboy first at the behest of, again, my bandmate Carly and friend, uh, because um, she and I do a band called Aspect Ratio, wherein we've written songs that are just about movies. And uh, one of the latest songs that she had written the lyrics to was Drugstore Cowboy. And so I felt in order to be able to perform the song, honestly, I have to watch the movie. And so I did. And then um, that's when we were talking about, like, well, what should we talk about? And I was like, well, I just saw Gus Van Sant's Drugstore Cowboy. Maybe we should talk about him. And then you agreed immediately because it was a great idea. Well, uh, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I want to get into this movie. I like this movie. Right. So I have to say up front. And this is only out of respect to Justin Lore. This movie has motherfucking James LaGross in it. James LaGross is definitely in this movie. And this is literally the movie he did right after Phantasm 2. Right. And because of the fucking uh, horror of him being the fake Mike on in goddamn <laughs> Phantasm 2. You still dislike him? I have a little bit of a grudge against him because of that. Because, right, right, and, right. and to be fair, this is more Justin Lore's grudge. Right, but I just have to bring it up because I love Justin and, and he's my man. Horror business, and he's very angry and will be angry until he dies. Uh-huh. That James the Gross is in Phantasm Two because why is he in Phantasm Two? <laughs> I he's know not, fake Mike. Come he's on. not. It's it's not right. It's not. It's right. wrong. But to be fair, the fact that he went from Phantasm Two to this movie, it's such a shift. Yeah, that I almost kind of respect it, and it makes me have a new appreciation for him because other than phantasm 2 there's not a lot he's in that i really remember i mean i know he's in point break uh-huh. i know he's in singles oh god he was in singles i forgot and honestly i can't name i'm like i'm looking through his imdb and i'm like no no, no never seen no, it no no, 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 no no i mean there's other things he was in but i don't remember him in even like even movies i've seen that he's in i'm like oh he's in that whatever <laughs> uh but he's i feel like he stands out in this movie even though his role is to be passive yeah it is such a better fit than him as Mike, that I almost feel good about it. Like, okay, right. you, 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 you took it up a notch. You went into a property where you actually <laughs> fucking belonged. Yeah, you play it, the role it, that, that worked you feel you. the role that, that was assigned you here. But here's the reality. This is fucking Matt Dillon's movie. Am I wrong about that? Oh my God, yeah. It's so, he's so good in this movie. Well, first, before we get into it, let's talk about what the movie's about. Yeah, what give, is us, about? give us a little synopsis, Liam. What, you want me to do it again? Yeah, I want you to. You so saw this, it three times. I only saw it once. Okay, so this is uh, basically a a story being told to you by right. Matt Dillon's character, who um, is a guy named Bob, drug addict. And he is relating to you, the first part of the movie, his life as sort of the title, a drugstore cowboy, a guy yeah, who... He's kind of like the ringleader of a drug crew. Yeah, and so their crew rips off various pharmacies and drugstores in order to maintain their high. Mm-hmm. They're into a variety of drugs, clearly... Heroin is what they're addicted yeah, to. Other things are like fun things. You know, it, 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 to put it another way, it's like you're in a hardcore band. The movie's about your hardcore band. You listen to a Smiths record every once in a while. <laughs> you know, you, you like uh, some punk songs, but you're in a hardcore band. That's the thing. They want heroin related. They want opioid, opioids. Right, right, They'll do right. speed. They'd love to have some Which coke. Which I found it to be very timely to watch now, actually. Right, right. Yeah. That there's, there's like a similarity there. And, you know, that they're trying to find these things. So... Uh, the, the movie is sort of about a few things about being that person. One is living on the edge. Mm-hmm. These are people who live on the edge of society. Right. Two, super, with superstition. Addiction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. that uh, things are so out of control for you 
and so crazy that uh, the the superstition becomes one of the ways you bring order to your life. Mm. What's interesting is later in the movie, he sort of makes a claim, and we'll come back to it, that the addiction itself is how you bring order to your life. That part of the reason you want to be high is because you don't know what life is going to bring. And so it's a way to sort of deal with that tension. Um, And so the movie sort of follows their adventures, uh, uh, and they're mostly horrifying. And after a few things go very wrong for them, he decides to quit the life. Yeah, he's going to go straight. And the end of the movie is sort of like about what that experience is like. And that's not told in the same sort of narrative way as the first part of the movie. But it's still kind of It's still kind of first person. It doesn't have the same feeling as the initial, though. Yeah. Which I think is actually very very interesting choices made by Gus Van Sant that showed the shift in perspective from what, from from the first act to the third act. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that this is definitely Matt Dillon's movie. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's an early, I mean, is this it, Gus Van Zandt's first movie? No, his first movie was Wild Noche, and then uh, right. after that, I think, was this. So I think this might be number two. I mean, it's definitely early in his career. It has all the marks of it, but it's also a very bold movie. I mean, he's telling a story about characters that he knows most people aren't going to like. Mm-hmm. That there's only a few people watching this movie who have sympathy for Bob right. or have sympathy even for Bob's crew. Uh, and yet you, I, I mean, I, I won't speak for you, but for me, I felt myself really connected to what was happening and I couldn't understand what, you know, I don't fucking do drugs. I don't even know what that's about. <laughs> but I think, I think partly what it's about, what it seems to be towards the end of the movie. So, uh, things are very tense in the beginning mm-hmm. and they're scary and they're gross in some ways, but they, they somehow seem to be infused with that strange attraction to this yeah. life that they make it look not glamorous, but like at least attractive. Well, part of the reason I think that's highlighted though, is the after notes towards the end when he gets clean. And to be fair, he's not clean. He's still a methadone, but he's, mm. he's leaving the life of being a straight up addict. Yeah. It's so sad. It's very, it's very zen in a way, mm-hmm. but the zenness of it, the sort of satisfaction of it, only highlights the melancholy. Yeah, that like the drabness actually. Yeah, it's so drab, and you know, uh, the early part of the movie, even though they're living in shitty places, they kind of make Portland look fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also Gus Van Sant's from Portland. Right. So there's like an element of his own eye. But isn't he living in Portland still in the second part of the movie? I guess so. I don't but know. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It if you I, if I think he's in Portland the whole time because the cop is the same, so it has yeah, to be the yeah, same yeah, city. Yeah, yeah. But the Portland of his drug days and the mm-hmm. Portland of his not drug days feel like two separate places. Right. Not drugs. Portland is sad and shitty until he <laughs> goes on the walk. So William S. Burroughs is it's, it's, William S. Burroughs plays the priest in the movie. He's in this movie who um, Matt Dillon meets when he yep. is in his rehab. Yep. Well, he but, knows him though. He yeah, knew, but he knows, knows him, him from before back that. In the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, William S. Burroughs is. I mean, here's the thing. You know who? If you know who William S. Burroughs is, and you ever seen him in anything, that's what he is. He's barely alive, wraith of a human. Yeah. Who is kind of like drug drugs addled? Aren't, drugs like aren't the, so bad. Yeah. That's his thing. That's the thing. Um. Anyways, I don't think the movie, in the end, glorifies the drug part too much, especially with Diane. Yeah. Diane, and that's the funny thing that James LaGrosse becomes the the new right. Matt Dillon in the right. movie, and Diane joins his crew, right? 
And it's like, it's a weird, because she comes back. So what happens right. in the movie is Matt Dillon goes straight and Diane was his girl, but then when he goes straight, she ditches him. Well, and he goes straight. Let's back up even further. They, they, there's all these superstitions. At a certain point, Heather, so Heather Graham is in Heather movie. Graham, a young Heather Graham is in this movie. And she's she looks re- completely different to Well, me. and she's really good in it, actually, yeah. for, for what she's doing. And she puts a hat on a bed, which is a big no-no. Yeah, which is like a big... Hex. And then the job they go on goes wrong, and when they come back, she's dead. She's OD'd. She's OD'd yeah. on Delauded. And um and he doesn't respond well to that. No. I mean it kind of shows the way that um when you are in that world, life just means something else. Yeah. You know? It's all about getting high and whatever, whatever. Anyways, what I was I, what I was getting to before and, and this sort of brings me there too is uh, the sadness of the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which is not a tragic sadness. It's a melancholic, this is the way it has to be sadness, yeah. which is different. That highlights the excitement of the beginning. And the way he talks about it, it seems to me that the fucking drugs are not the point. Yeah. The point is not to be a normal-ass person. Right. And even with Diane, when he interacts with her, there's a real feeling like, yeah, okay, she's a drug addict. She's going back to her addiction, whatever. But what I like about the movie, I mean, there's a lot I like about the movie. One of the things I like about the movie is the drugs create a scenario for you to have meaning and something to live for outside of normalcy. Right. So it's almost like you could have replaced the drugs with something that was less awful. Uh-huh. And some of these people would have been in that world, whatever that other thing was. Right. Like what draws them in is almost the edginess of it. The need to and not then, be uh, bored in Portland. And what keeps them there, of course, is that they're fucking addicts. Yeah, now you're addicted to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, but, but the idea is that there's something else there. And then to me that is then also highlighted by our fucking living zombie friend. Right. Uh, William S. Burroughs, <laughs> William S. Burroughs Tom. who sort of says like also drugs are an excuse to control people like that yeah. that the nation will build an intera- international police apparatus underneath the specter of drugs and like yeah yeah that's that totally has what it happened, is. Yeah. is happening continues Currently to happen yeah yeah, yeah yeah so uh, he's not wrong and, mm. and and there's some aspect of that that like the movie I think it shows the excitement Mm-hmm. It also shows the selfishness. Yeah. The for fucked sure. up logic. Dude, the scene with his mom. There's a scene where yeah. him and uh, Diane go back to his yeah. mom's house because they so need new clothes. And the mom doesn't want to let him in. She's yeah. hiding all her shit. Yeah. Oh, it's so brutal to watch. Even back at the house, all Diane wants is to get fucked. She just yeah. wants to fuck. And he just can't. He can't he even love his yeah. wife because his he's so focused wife. on getting high. Yeah. So brutal, man. So, so the in that sense, it's not a romanization. It's not a glorification. It's no, not a whatever. Sure. But on the other hand, you get a little bit of like, but there's a sharpness to his life. He has mm-hmm. an edge. It's almost like in some horrifying way, he's also at his best. Yeah. He thinks so sharp and he has so many plans. And so a lot of that is affected by his drug use. But but he's good at things because of his drug addiction. He's learned how to do things. Yeah, he has he skills. Do things. I th- yeah. Dude. I think one of the most nascent things actually about the Matt Dillon character in this movie is the weird duality of religion and faith in it. Yep. In that the reason that he goes straight is because. So what ends up happening is Diane. Or, um, what's her name? Heather Graham dies from the right. OD. Right. And uh, 
at the same time, it happens in a motel. Sure. And there's a police convention at the same time. So there's like a million cops at the same motel. Yeah. And Matt Dillon's like, I'm going to hide her in, in the ceiling in like the crawl space of, the, of this hotel room. Yep. And then, and then he comes back and he's like, no, we can't do that. We have to bury her. And he, he says that he asks God. He doesn't reveal this till later, but he, the, he, he made a he, promise with God that if he gets out of this, he's going to go straight. Right. And he, he sticks to it. Right. Which then implies like some type of ethos that he has this whole time. That's there the right. whole time. Right. Yet his best friend is a priest in this movie. And in the second half of this movie, yeah, that is like a drug addict right. and takes everybody's drugs, so on and so forth. I think that's a, a really but, interesting line to But tell. this is what's clear, though, about it that's different. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if this justifies anything, but it's, it's, a, it's an aspect. The priest isn't ripping anybody off. No. Like, in order for Matt Dillon to be who he wants to be as a drug addict, mm. he's a criminal. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it also shows the inhumanity of the police. Yeah. Like let's, yeah, 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 let's, yeah. Let's be clear about that too. That like the the other side of the coin, the people who are trying to get him, mm-hmm. they're like doing all fucked up shit, busting in his rooms and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're not they're not good people either. Yeah, it's certainly not a pro. Although there's movie. like a weird exoneration of the one cop that is in both the first and second and in, in the first and second parts of this movie. Did you More think in that? The, I think in the second part because he. It feels like in the second part of the movie, he really believes in what Matt Dillon is doing. Yeah. And it almost makes, to me, it comes across like it makes Matt Dillon better than him. Oh, Because wow. he's changing his life. Yeah. This yeah, cop yeah, yeah. couldn't change his life it's if he wanted. Still a piece of shit, yeah. He couldn't be a different person if he wanted to. Yeah. And he doesn't get it at the end when Matt, Matt Dillon's sort of saying what, you know, this, the the hat or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. he, he'll never understand. I mean, that's yeah. a comedic... Uh, at a point, it's a comedic at a beat point in a where very the, severe it, it, moment, at the point when the movie is almost at its most sad, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he's doesn't understand what the hat is, and it's yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a dark movie, but it's also many parts of it are very funny. Yeah, um, but it's also a movie where I find myself caring about someone that I also kind of hate. Yeah. I yeah. want good things for Bob, and Bob is the worst. He is his own worst enemy in this entire movie. Yeah, it's brutal, man. It's brutal, and man, what's his? So, what's the name of the? Uh, well, first, talk about um, a little bit about who plays. What's what's talk about the cop character? Oh, that guy's been in a lot of movies. He's like one of those character actors. Yep. Um, what's his name? Uh, well, if only there were computers in our hands that we could look up. A uh, James Remar. James Remar. Yeah, he's been in like a billion ass movies. Yeah, he was on. Uh, well, some people will know him from Dexter. Mm-hmm. NCIS Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, I also wanted to talk about. I I was stalling because I wanted to find him. Max Perlich. For the most part, Max Perlich is one of the most annoying actors of the 90s. I mean, this is 89, but he continues his career into the 90s, and he's a fucking just annoying... Every time he shows up, I want him to fucking die. Dude, he's Yabo in Gleaming the Cube. But I really like him in this movie. Yeah. I think he's the... You know, he plays this character, David, who is stupid. Yeah, he's like petty a drug addict and, and a dealer. And he's really the worst... He's really meant to represent... 
the worst aspect of the drug addict, of right. the person who's not just addicted, but he's also predatory with younger drug addicts, so on and so forth, and, and and an idiot. Yeah, like, this is the thing, and I and I say it again. This, uh, hear me now, people. I am a straight edge man. <laughs> I do not drink. I do not do drugs. But Matt Dillon, as much as he, his character in the movie Pop, uh-huh. as much as he is untrustworthy in many ways, as much as he is predatory in his own way. Yeah, he is a man of fucking honor, and he's a man who like is at his best. He is is sharp, and he figures things yeah. out. And of course, he's hindered. He's hindered by his addiction. Uh-huh. He's hindered by his selfishness, and he's and hindered he's, by his weird loyalties to people that are not loyal to him. That's true too. But I was going to say his superstition, like that. Right. He's so worried. All the hexes and the whatever. These are all. These are all not real. These are all things that if he just made better decisions, but the luck is a way of feeling a control that you can't possibly have. Right. But there's a, so there's, but there are things about that that you can see and see the, maybe not the value, but there's something about it. Right. Whereas fucking David is a shit. He's a piece of shit. And and Max is the, the actor is so good in that role. (laughs) No other human could play the role the way that he does. I mean, I, I will say, side note, this is definitely a Portland movie uh-huh. because it is the most white drug movie it you've is. ever seen in your life. Yeah, you've yeah, yeah, never yeah. seen a drug movie from set in any time period <laughs> where every single character is this, is this white. Um, and it's, you know, it's Portland. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess just, that's what Portland, yeah. I mean, apparently. I, I, don't, know. I don't know. Anyways, anyway. but it doesn't matter. It's compelling. It yeah. is. It is a. It is a. What did you think film. about the weird interstitial parts with like the hats floating in the air and like the weird Monopoly pieces and all this other stuff? I don't know. See, don't this know. is the thing. Like, I kind of feel like in 1989 when this movie was made, yeah, Gus Van Sant was exploring the territory of independent filmmaking, right? In a way that has become almost second nature to people who don't have huge budgets now, right? And a lot of that is like this weird, inconsequential, just stuff. That he just kind of throws in there. There's a lot of that in the mind. I think it's. I think as well. I think it's transitional moments that set a mood. Yeah. But I think in my my own private Idaho, it's different. I think he's perfected it at that point. I think by my own private Idaho, it goes from just like, oh, this is going to be really weird, to like, this is going to have a point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All this stuff that is sort of off kilter in Drugstore Cowboy feels superfluous it's it feels more inconsequential like style than a language yeah whereas in my own part of idaho he's telling a story and those aspects lead into the or they're germane to the sentiment that's to be projected yeah i mean i'm saying story because that's what people usually Uh say but i would uh, say well we can actually switch to it my own private idaho right it's very similar to drugstore cowboy in that it's about a uh a outsider marginalized community basically yeah a criminal community a community that the audience might not like for various reasons yeah but it's a less directly narrative film and there are moments that i think might be interpretive Mm -hmm. i think watching it again there's another character named bob he -hmm. likes the name bob (laughs) it's entirely possible that had he not been shot bob could be bob right Bob seems very heterosexual, though, uh-huh. and Bob is not that her- heterosexual in my private <laughs> idol. But still, it's another criminal character named Bob uh-huh. who is also an asshole, uh, but way less charming than Matt Dillon. Um, but why does Bob speak like a fucking Shakespearean prince? 
Is it just a funny character trait, or is there? Well, no. The originally, when uh, My Own Private Idaho was coming to fruition, uh-huh. it was three separate scripts that Gus Van Sant had not finished. So the first script was um, the whole uh, narcoleptic hustler thing. Sure. The second script was supposed to be entirely told in iambic pentameter about the hotel that right. they all live in. Right. And then the third script was about the hustler trying to find his mother in Italy. Mm. So instead of finishing three of these projects, he just fused them into the one movie that ended up being. But it creates a it creates a weird reality bending dreamlike feel, which is what makes the all the interstitial scenes in this movie make so much more sense. They connect, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like you know, in in Drugstore Cowboy, you just have these hats floating in the air, and you have like Monopoly pieces, and and you could see that he comes from the school of thought that is directly related to his directing rock videos sure because he started directing movies by or videos for bowie yeah, yeah so yeah. and so forth so then by the time you get to my own private idaho he's actually incorporated this into his storytelling which at best in this movie is completely tangential almost like other than central characters being sure. the same there's three separate tones and three separate movies in this in this one movie i feel like they connect though they i feel do like connect, a, but i kind a... of feel like that they had to like he had to bring them together in order to make this a movie. Yeah, but I I think maybe I'm just compelled by River Phoenix, but I feel like the yeah. movie is River Phoenix's movie. Well, that's the other thing. Like uh, just reading up on this movie, um, they talk about how River Phoenix was given a lot of creative freedom. Oh, in this really? Movie. Yeah, he wrote the campfire scene and insisted that that be the first thing that they shoot. Oh wow! And uh, Gus Van Sant went with it. Apparently, one of the main things is that Gus Van Sant gave a lot of faith in River Phoenix to this movie. Wow! And that he was given a lot of autonomy. A lot of the stuff was ad libbed. You know, there there are a couple things that weren't written down. But um, overall, it 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 was definitely a vehicle for because I mean, again, River Phoenix was hot at this point. Like he was the yeah. Man. So at what point is this in the in the River Phoenix career? This is right before he dies, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe it's like right before River Phoenix dies from a heroin overdose. Oddly enough, but um, yeah, he is definitely the the driver of the ship that Gus Van Sant has constructed for this movie. But um, that said, it definitely feels like a Gus Van Sant movie, from what I know. Okay, so it's post. Um, I feel like this is still part of his his rise because he's in uh, Little Nikita. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All right. I love you to death. Then my own private Idaho. Then dogfight sneakers. Uh, the the thing called love. Like I really think. Oh, this some, is like middle River Phoenix then. Uh, yeah, I mean he dies in ninety three, right? So it's not that middle. It's definitely <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's it's ninety one, but like you know I think. I love you to death is when most normal ass people kind of knew who he was. Yeah. That was 1990. Wow. So he's still, he's a little hot, but I feel like the, at least for me, granted, I wasn't 1990. I wasn't paying attention. Right. So who knows? Right. Who knows? But I didn't fucking know him until 1992 sneakers. Really? Not really. I, yeah, I didn't uh, see dogfight till I stand was, by me though. All right. Stand by. But here's the thing. Okay. You're right. But, Think about the space between he's in Stand By Me in '86, uh-huh. right? Then he's on T. He's in a TV movie. 
He's in some videos. He's in Running on Empty, which I didn't see as a kid. Yeah. I didn't see Little Nikita as a kid. I saw Last Crusade, but I didn't know who, who he was. Really? He didn't really click for me till Sneakers. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, that guy. And I kind of knew, like, oh, I think that's the guy from Stand By Me. But I, I yeah. didn't have the same connect. I mean, you know, Sneakers comes out in 92. I'm 13 years old. Right. I know who Freddie is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know who these other fuckers are. You I, know? Get I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But so... Uh, Go ahead. No, it's crazy because, like, you know, his whole family, it's a lot of things that he gets compared to in this movie is James Dean because he has, like, the wild hair and, like, he has that rebel-like look, right? And he wears the red jacket, so on and so forth. But um, he grew up in, like, a weird hippie commune, so he never watched movies growing up. Wow. Which is why his performance is kind of unfettered in this movie, and it's so charmingly honest if we're be, if we're being clear with yeah. each other like i think he's so and like to to consider that he doesn't have the background in film that everybody does he has sure. this completely different approach to the way he sees movies sure and he has the autonomy and control that is granted him by the director sure it's pretty amazing man and you know what else keanu reeves can we talk about that for a minute Yo, yeah he's great in this fucking movie I, I, I think Keanu Reeves is great in a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, man. And he might not be great in every fucking movie, but if if you were to say, if you were to tell me, right, to watch this, uh-huh. uh, to watch... Point Break. Point Break. Yeah. To watch, obviously, John Wick. Yeah. To one watch... Yeah, yeah, yeah. To watch fucking... Um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Wasn't he in that? Um, no, that was JD. Sorry. Wrong nineties teen throb. <laughs> that was uh well but I would even say the um what do you call the fucking um Bill and Ted sequel. Oh, Bogus Journey? Yeah. Which incidentally is on Filmstruck. What's up, Filmstruck? And I watch it because it's it's on there for the centennial of Ingmar Bergman and <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I mean I think that's great. Um Yeah. No, he's an awesome actor. I don't know why people think he sucks. I think he's awesome. I mean, okay, uh, his music maybe sucks. People don't people don't like fucking Speed or or maybe they love Speed. But I, <laughs> if someone was like, I don't like Speed, I don't love him in Dracula actually, which is an unpopular opinion. But I don't. He's great. Uh, I just don't. Dracula's great. He's in even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Yeah, that movie sucks. Uma Thurman's the main character in that movie, and she is just not whimsy enough to me and yeah so anyway back to my own private idaho sure um this movie is harsh Mm -hmm. it is uh like drugstore cowboy it is depressing yep but that said it still has the focus of the charm that can arise in dark and depressing times Mm -hmm. and um i think for phoenix and keanu reeves were the perfect vessels side note i that's what i was trying to find he's also in river's edge oh wow Okay. So that's so, fucking that's a sick ass movie. Yeah, but I mean, dude, Udo Kier is in this movie. Yeah, you know, what I mean? Udo like, Kier <laughs> as the creepy German dude. The scene it's where so he sings creepy. into a lamp is so, so fucking awesome. good. Yeah, it's so wild. Dude. Um, I even love. Okay, so let's say this: um, My Private Idaho. Yeah, unacknowledged punk movie. Okay, I would argue more punk than The Ranger. <laughs> Certainly more punk than a number of other punk movies. Just in the sense of like Flea is involved. This Flea, is, dude. This have is, you ever looked at Flea's IMDb? Yeah, he's in a lot of. It's insane yeah, yeah. the movies that he's. But been yeah, in. he's in this, and he. I think he's great in that role. Yeah. The other random street. I mean, 
it's a movie about street people, really mm-hmm. young street people in the early nineties. So it's basically a punk movie. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> these people may have been more. It, maybe, part of it takes place in Portland as well. Yeah, I mean, sure, some of these kids were probably more Jane's Addiction fans than Sex Pistols fans, but right. okay. it's also very white movie, <laughs> right? And 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 again, I this is you could say this about Ghost Van Zandt. Yeah, he, he mostly directs white people. Whatever. So does most people. You know, right, right. It doesn't really bother me that much with this. Uh-huh. It's just, it is interesting because in some ways, I don't think this is on purpose, but you could argue mm. in some ways it's almost helpful that it's so white because it is a movie about crime and street kids and you know what I mean? But like, it's funny though that Keanu Reeves' character has a huge like a huge element of class is involved right, that he right, was like this weird right. cultural tourist in the dregs of society. Right. And then he comes back at the end. Well, that's another aspect of the movie that feels so goddamn Shakespearean yeah, that yeah, he yeah, just yeah. sort of leaves this darkness behind <laughs> and now he's a new person <laughs> and he won't even interact with it. It's like a real betrayal. The funniest thing about it is the whole movie, right? I I'm dislodged. I'm like, Oh, this movie could be anytime, anywhere when he comes back as like the son of a dignitary, like, and he's got the suit on. The suit is the only thing that I'm like, 1990s. Hello. The suit is very 90s. It's, it's so such 90s. a 90s. And he talk, at one point he talks in a really shitty car phone that's also very Oh, 90s. man. That's, that part's great. Yeah. But the suit itself, I was like, wait a minute. How come the knot on that necktie is awfully small? Yeah. And it's very baggy pants. Uh, it's just pretty funny. So here's why I think the movie is River Phoenix's movie. Because you were saying it's three different scripts. But here's yeah. the deal. Um, this first section is in a very real way about River Phoenix's disconnection from himself mm-hmm. and his kind of, in my mind, his search for who he is in this context. And still having the narcolepsy. The narcolepsy yeah. is a huge part yeah. of the first part of the movie. The second part is about their friendship mm-hmm. and about their connection. And their group of friends. But also about this thing that ends up happening that he's sort of writing about, which is like they're both in this world. They're both a part of this this. Uh, you know, very much gay world yeah but keanu is my guess is he's either in the closet or he's bi either way he straight up says to him you can't love another man yeah you can fuck another man but you can't, you can't love, love another, another man. man and rufus is like but i love you and you're not paying me yeah, and I think so this brutal. is this is yeah. The, that was this, the first scene that he wrote. So, so, he wrote that scene and demanded that that be filmed first. So this is my thing. I think the beginning part of the movie is like his relationship to himself. Mm-hmm. This move, this part, it's like that need to be loved and the inability to find it. And then the last part combines the first two parts in his yeah, search for his, his mom. mom. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. there's that that and 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 you you know if Gus Van Zandt himself wasn't gay then you mm-hmm. could say well that's a bad stereotype that this young all, gay boy is, yeah, has, a, has an issue with his mom like that's yeah. kind of stereotypical but i don't think it's meant that way i think it's meant to just tell a certain kind of story mm-hmm. and it's less about the fact that it's his mom and more about um his entire past right it's about the gap that that represents and his mom is the physical manifestation of what is this whole mm-hmm. and that's why those interstitial things work so fucking well yeah. because the dreamlike way we're experiencing his childhood and his past 
is not just interpretive. He doesn't get it either. Yeah. He doesn't understand that moment either. He's as detached from those scenes as, as we, we fucking are. are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's partly why he wants to find her because he's trying to find his himself, his things. home, yeah. his past, whatever and, it and is. That's the one thing that Gus Van Sant made very clear in the interviews about this movie. This movie is about connection. Yes. This movie is about familial tie. And uh, he, so at the end of the movie, what ends up happening is River Phoenix finds himself on the same street that he was on in the beginning. Yeah. And he has another narcoleptic episode. Falls asleep. A car stops by and takes his shoes and like his wallet and shit. And they just leave him sleeping in the mm-hmm. middle of the street. Mm-hmm. And then as the camera pans away, you see another car come, stops, picks him up, puts him in the car, and then just drives off into the distance. Mm-hmm. Gus Van Sant said that he was going to try to imply that that was his brother that was in the second scene when they get to the trailer park, mm-hmm. that his brother's the one who picked him up. But then he he was like, no, I want the final statement to be that family is what you elect. Mm-hmm. And so that could be the love of his life. That could be anybody. And that's why he didn't focus on the dude's face, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And um, I think that's... Uh, I, I think... Just from what I know of Gus Van Sant, that's like the oeuvre of his works, right? Like that he has this idea of connection. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, be it from his perspective as a gay man or just, uh, just you know, granted, he doesn't really have a black character until Finding Forrester and that movie sucks. But like just this whole connection of a community mm-hmm. and uh, a adopted family. Yeah. I feel as though this is like his thing. Well, and I think that that is one of the lessons of the LGBTQ experience, not universally, everyone has their own, but one of the mm. things that a large amount of that community has found is you make your own family. Yeah. You fucking, you find your family and you make your family. Right, right, And right. I would argue now with the input of trans people, mm. you make yourself too. Like, you're, it's all your you're, constructing. Like, like, the first step of a movie like this is saying your family doesn't actually define you. Yeah. And River, River Phoenix's character in some ways is defined by his narcolepsy. Mm-hmm by his desire that he is he can't find an outlet for because everyone who's willing to love him is only willing to do it as a transactional thing. Yeah. Bob is trans everyone is transactional, even in the end Keanu. Yeah. Um and by his family and his past. Mm. And the end part of the movie gives a hope that maybe that doesn't define him. Well, we're at the point now where we're even putting biology on that list. Yeah. That biology does actually not does not fucking define you. You yeah. make yourself if you if you want. Yeah. You can't. You don't have to. You're not obligated to remake yourself mm-hmm. in the fires, so to speak. But you can, and that can be who you are. Yeah. And I think this movie points in that direction because, in a sense, he is defined by something. I don't know if it's biological or psychological, but he's defined by something, which is the narcolepsy. Right. That when he is upset or things are hard, he just falls asleep. He just falls asleep. And that gives people a chance. And the, 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 here's what I love about the final thing. It could be cynical. Yeah. He falls asleep one more time and he gets taken advantage of because the whole movie he's being taken advantage of in various ways. But also the whole movie, people are looking out for him too. And it's that weird combo Mm. that the movie seems to be about that in this world, there's this ambiguity. Yeah, people will take advantage of you and they will watch out for you. Yeah. And in this movie, those are often the same people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The and Bob that, character alone. Yeah, and that's why you do make your own family because yeah. you can't rely on chance, which is really what biology is, is right, chance. Right. Just the, to, the way way you land. Yeah, to determine you the rest of your life. You just right. can't, you know. Impossible. And so uh and that's a lesson I think that we're being taught if we're willing to pay attention which often we're not yeah. um, but i think that's one of the lessons 
uh, maybe not lesson because I don't think of Van Zandt as a didactic filmmaker, but it's one of the things you could take from this movie. It's one of like, the themes for sure. Yeah, in in this movie, and yeah. River Phoenix does it. I mean, so well. this performance. I mean, I, I know he's just not in that many movies, but. This movie reminded me that I fucking love him. And yeah, that, man. Like I said, I didn't know him that well before Sneakers, but as an adult, I've tried to watch a lot of his movies. Mm. It, again, I say a lot. There aren't that many, but what he did, I've tried to watch. And I, he's just amazing. Yeah, he really and is. And you see it back in Stand and, By Me, And the course, funny but. thing is, okay, so again, I'll bring him back to the campfire scene. Yeah. There's this, the part in that scene when he's like crouched and he's telling Scott, or yeah. what, what's his name? Scott Fortune, right? That's yeah, what they yeah, call yeah. He's telling Keanu Reeves' character that he loves him. And there's a gesture that he does where he's crouched over and he just kind of hugs his knees in a way that's very, like, it could just be a thing. But if you watch it, it seems so honest. Yeah. And that speaks to his capacity as an actor. That yeah. He, he was so good. Man, what a fucking movie. What a great actor. It's so hard, though, to know that he also was struggling with addiction. I mean, that's... Drugs aren't a huge focus of the movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's in there. Like it's, it's he's doing there. coke, he's and, stealing coke from Bob. Like and knowing that he as a person, that part of his performance was probably influenced by that. Yeah, for sure. It, it just makes me sad, and especially post drugstore cowboy. Like, you know, I don't think you can finish drugstore cowboy and be like, "Yo, yeah, man, let's drugs try, let's awesome. give it yeah, a try, let's do it." Yeah, I think. What's amazing about Drugstore Cowboy is the humanity shines through despite it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, this could have been Gus Van Zandt's whole direction, which I I just don't feel like he's stuck with this. He tried other things and whatever. But in these movies, these two movies, the the humanity, Mm. and by humanity, I mean, let's say the good aspects, or at least something connected, something inspiring, whatever. Mm. It shines through shitty circumstances. So, like... Um, not that any of these kids should feel bad about who they're fucking, right? And I don't think the movie wants that. But what the movie does show is that being on the street means essentially being victimized. And you right. get that from the testimony. I In mean, the coffee shop. I'm sure that there was are. I don't know if those are actors or real. They're actors, but I'm quite sure the stories were real. Yeah, this idea that like just being out there trying to like get by means you're going to be abused yeah that people are going to try and fuck you or fuck you over or both yeah and treat and, you terribly yeah, yeah 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 and i think that that requires a certain sympathy mm-hmm. like a certain empathy sympathy yeah. whatever you want to say to a victimized character yeah that can be a victim to themselves yeah you know it's a very human both the movies are very humanistic in that way even yeah. though they're both dark very dark yeah. yeah, I mean, my own private Idaho is a sad is a, one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, even if in the end he is picked up, like even at his most vulnerable, he is helped. Yeah, that's a very hopeful. Well, note. and that's a very ambiguous scene too. You don't yeah. know who is know? that. Yeah. Who is that person? <laughs> yeah. And why are they taking yeah, yeah. him? I think it's for something good. I think he meant it for something good, but we don't know, and you don't yeah. get to know. And that's yeah. sort of the story, you know. So great, though. Oh my god, such a good decision. It's pretty awesome. I'm glad we decided to do this. this movie, these movies are great. Sometimes we pick movies to watch, and like you know, coming off of the Isaac episode where we watch movies that were intentionally bad, or we intentionally sure, watch bad movies. Sure. sure. Uh, watching these on this follow up episode, I, I feel like man, it really, uh, really reconnects me to what it is that I love about cinema. I mean, don't get me wrong. Do we probably on the next episode need to get back into some dirty ass genre shit? <laughs> probably because we went from artsy to 
just actual trash films that were fun. <laughs> they were fun yeah. movies, but they were actual trash. And now we're back on a. I mean, I think I think there's a way to say artsy that's disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. No, I, mean, I just mean there's at, a reverence here at for this, this point, kind of art. Yeah. At this point in Gus Van Zandt's career, he is doing a certain thing. Yeah, I think by the time you get to Goodwill Hunting, that's a different kind of movie from it's this. A whole different path entirely. Yeah, it's at very minimum a narratively focused movie. Yeah. This movie, there's a story, but it's not a narrative movie in the same way. It's kind of, the liminal space is very obtuse. For people, yeah. you know, I, I, I've said before, I really like that Axe the Grind podcast. Yeah. And uh, they were doing like a this or that conversation. And mm-hmm. they said, TVs or movie. And the reason they ended on TV shows over movies is because they all sort of agreed that TV shows are better for writers. You can tell a story over a longer period of time. Yeah. You have more Episodes space. and episodes and episodes. Yeah. And you can get deep into the character and stuff. And... I actually, as someone who loves movies, I thought I would not like the reasons. When they finished sort of, and everyone kind of, for the most part, Tom wasn't sure, but they were mostly on the same page of, yeah, maybe you're right. TV shows are the, I thought, I agree with everything you said, and that's why I like movies more. <laughs> because the reality is, I know wrong, I love a good, complicated TV show, and yeah. it is a very narrative. You like binge watching. Right? Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. But I also like to read books, and in a way part of me would rather read a book right and whereas a movie is a visual i mean they said they said well tv show can tv shows can be cinematic but you know as people who like writing there's more of a writing focus right and for me i'm like that's why i like movies better and the i love a movie that tells a good story and i'm not against a good story but as we say on here it's also a visual medium yeah and what i think my own private idaho does is bring in a visual storytelling mm-hmm. or a visual aspect yeah. that isn't about just one compelling narrative. Even though I think right. River Phoenix's narrative has an arc and it's, and it's about very something, compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more of an experience. And I really want to smash the idea that movies exist just to tell a story. Right. Because we already know how to tell a fucking story. It's we don't need... Experiential we don't need, aspect. Yeah, we movies. don't need soundscapes and music and editing and cut jump and all that. Just to tell you, you know, How Jack and here. Jill yeah, went yeah, up yeah. the hill. Right. I can just fucking tell you that, man. I don't need a fucking camera crew to tell to show you that. But if there's some other aspect I want you to experience. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think TV shows are getting there, especially with some of the music stuff? Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually think they're starting to get into some whatever. But with a movie, I've got two hours, maybe three. To take you there. To take yeah. you there and give you an experience, and that experience is immersive. And I just wish people would stop pretending that th- that the but cinematic experience isn't immersive in a way that TV never fucking is, ever, ever, period, done, finished, ever. <laughs> I still watch no. a lot of TV. I'm not yeah. saying TV's bad. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I just yeah, think it no, was... But you love TV shows, and that's the funniest thing about this, that you do love TV shows. But I, But I think... Sometimes when I choose to watch a TV show over watching a movie, uh-huh. it's actually a respect thing. It's actually like a fucking, I can't, it's it's like, okay, let's say we lived at the shore. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, you want to go to the beach? Or you want to go jump pool. in the pool? Sometimes you want to jump in the pool, motherfucker. Yeah. There's sometimes. sand, there's sharks, there's goo. <laughs> and not only that, the beach is hard. It's more work. And seaweed. You don't actually have to work in a pool. You can just be in a fucking Exist pool. In a pool, yeah. And you are working at the... Even the laziest motherfucker, once you're in there and the waves are hitting you, you are doing work. 
For me, the best movies, even the most mindless movies, there's still an immersive aspect to it. There's still an element of work. Yeah, and my favorite movies, there's definitely an element of work, and that's why I love them. And sometimes I'm just not up for it, man, and I'm just going to watch some dumbass shit. I'm not mad, nor am I going to judge. I get it. Yeah. It's all good. So I, I say that only to say... It's just funny to be like, I disagree with everyone, but all of your points are correct, and it's because <laughs> of your points that you're wrong. <laughs> that was fun. But I didn't tell them that because I don't know them. Right. You're not going to do that. Nope. <laughs> all right. So anyway, Gus Van Sant, strongly, highly uh, recommend these two movies. Yeah. I think we'll get into more. Again, I don't know if we'll do Good Will Hunting, but we'll watch more Gus Van Sant movies. We'll do a little more. Research. I mean, Josh actually did some research. I didn't do any fucking research, yeah, so just... apologies, guys. I just had a. I didn't. I didn't have time. But uh, but I I know that uh, people you know want that aspect too. But I I think um, at base, this is just a good first step. Yeah, and this is a first step I would recommend if you're like I don't really know any ghost. Yeah, if you're movies. if you're if you're wondering about watching, don't worry, he'll get he won't get far on foot. I would say start with these, yeah, and then make your way to the major stuff. Yeah. You know, because this this is a this is a director finding his voice. These two movies, I think that's true. And uh, this even is, the jump from one to the other. I yeah. I think My Own Private is a huge artistic jump from from Drugstore Cowboy. Cowboy. And I love Drugstore Cowboy. Like, but the thing is, it's also at the time there was no other directors doing this kind of thing. I mean, not literally, but people. This is the time though that independent. I mean, Gus Van Sant is part of that '90s wave. Yeah, yeah. That fucking. Tarantino, Tarantino turned into something else, yeah. but like he was part of a whole team of people. Mm. And respect, man. <laughs> respect. <laughs> I mean, no respect to Robert Rodriguez, who was also part of that time, and I don't like him. But... <laughs> That's another story for another time. El Mariachi's good. <laughs> That's it. All right. So, is there anything that you're looking forward to, Liam? Is there anything that uh, is coming up that well, you're they, on? Yeah, so they announced... There's a few things. I don't think I'll get this up by this weekend. It's the weird stuff at Mahoney. Oh, man. They're showing Hazu. Yeah. Yeah, they're showing Suspiria. But, Dude, I, but they did so announce good. at Camp Blood, they announced that the next Exhumed thing at Mahoning is going to be um, Weekend of Terror. Oh, nice. Um, but the only thing I remember that's playing is The Town That Dreads Sundown. Oh, which sounds great. like not a big endorsement because I only remember one movie. But I say that to say the only movie I recognize the title Whoa. of all yeah. other of the six movies they're showing that weekend are movies I didn't know. Right. That's awesome. So I think that's worth checking out. And then also not that long from now is the Guilty Pleasures Marathon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also exhumed. At the Draft House. Yeah. I don't like gums. I know Harry doesn't like that I don't like gums, but I don't <laughs> like gums. The rest of that lineup is great. Right. Um, and so if you can get to Yonkers, I highly recommend it. Um, and the only other thing I'll say is in October at the Frank Banco Ale House Cinema where we did the Kung Fu stuff, um, Adriana, who's part of the crew, is helping with all the horror stuff. And so for October, they're doing the Animal trilogy from argento so nice uh uh crystal plumage four flies on gray velvet cat of nine tails awesome yeah so come out to those if you're up in the area i think it'll be worth it nice uh for me cross keys are playing next friday at the tusk we're playing the fameless fest with the molly rhythm and the up up ups and a couple other bands that are pretty cool uh so it's a free show if you're in town you yeah. Come check us out. Yeah. It's 5th and South Street at the Tusk. Cool. Uh, that's going to be fun. And then um, September 23rd, we are playing, we're going back to Boot and Saddle 
to play with Pears, that band from New Orleans that popped Oh, up. sure, sure, sure. And sure. Uh, we're playing with the Lamplighters at that show. And then we're going on a little hiatus because we're going to record our new record. So we probably cool. won't show up again until after January sometime. Cool. So come check me out. Watch me sing. Um, oh, you know, I will say this too. Next weekend, uh, so September 8th, I guess. Yeah. Uh, is the Philly Unnamed Film Festival. Oh, nice. Um, we've never been. I kind of want to possibly check it out because the lineup looks cool. And, you know, I, I just, I'm always like, haven't been able to make the effort, but I feel like this year I might try to go. So if you're going to be there, I think I'm going to try to go on Saturday. So. so let us know so Liam will know to look for you there. Yeah, yeah, say what yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I'll, we'll hang out. Holler cool. at us. All right, yeah. very good. Um, one thing I would like to say is that this past Tuesday, Mm-hmm. August twenty eighth is my fifth anniversary with my Yay, beautiful wife Melanie. Congrats. And uh I would like to say that nothing that I do means anything without her. Aww, so that goes so. from music and this podcast so and everything cute. else. So I love you, baby. Uh and that is it. Episode thirty or eighty five. <laughs> 35. 35. So long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh thank you so much for listening and as always, rate, review, subscribe. And um, again, hit us up on the tweeters, on the Instagrams, and on the Facebooks. Check and, out uh, that Patreon. 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 Um, oh, hey, uh, I, one of the things that we started doing on Hard Business, I think be good on here too, is to shout out other podcasts that we like. And my friend Amaria Armstrong, uh, I'm sorry, Amaria Shea, just started a new podcast called uh, Underthought. And it's sort of like... Um, academic reflections on pop culture so her ah. first episode was talking about prince and black studies and it's really good it's they're short she's just can get a lot of good shit into 30 minutes so just 30 minutes of her like reflecting on something she's thought very deeply about and it's really good so far so it's called under thought awesome. and i recommend checking it out also one last thing i want to give a shout out to a friend of the podcast cami shibata the good looking out home girl talk to you soon Smoke bomb. Bye.